Uh, I wanted to start this evening by giving some, some advice to you men, okay? But you got to be real careful how you answer your wife when your wife asks you a question. You got to be real careful how you answer her because you could get in a lot of trouble. For example, I was sitting in the living room one day and I was sitting there with my head leaned back in the back of my recliner and Linda came through and she says, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I was just thinking. I didn't tell her that I was thinking about how I was going to spend her insurance money to buy a new car or anything. <laughs> I said, I was just thinking. And she said, well, what are you thinking about? And my mind's working and I said, now what am I going to say? I said, I was thinking about how wonderful you are <laughs> and how lucky I am to have you. And she says, um, what would you do if I died? I said, I'd be devastated. I said, I don't know what I would do. I, I don't know what I would do. I'd just be devastated. I don't know if I could go on or not. She said, would you get married again? I says, no. She says, why not? Don't you like being married? I said, well, yeah, I like being married. And she said, well, why wouldn't you get married again? I said, okay, I'd get married again. She said, you would, would you? I said, yeah, I'd get married again. She said, and I guess you'd let her live in my house, wouldn't you? I said, well, if you was gone and I was married again and the house is paid for and we need some place to live, I guess we'd live here. And she said, oh, that's right, that's right. I said, I guess you'd take down all my pictures and put her pictures up, wouldn't you? I said, well, if you was gone and she's here and she wants to put up her pictures, I, I guess I'd let her put them up. Oh, would you now? And I get you to let her wear my clothes, too. I said, well, if she wanted to wear them and she was here and you wasn't here, yeah, I'd let her wear your clothes. And I guess you'd let her use my golf clubs, too. And I said, no, no, definitely not. I would not let her use your golf clubs. She says, why not? You letting her live in my house and take down my pictures and wear my clothes. Why wouldn't you let her wear my, uh, use my golf clubs? And I said, because she's left-handed. <laughs> so be careful, okay? <laughs> Open your Bibles, please, to the 23rd chapter of the Gospel of Luke. I think I told the people back under John, but I think it's Luke, okay? Luke's Gospel, chapter 23, beginning in verse 33. And we will read only one verse for the process of time. If you have it, please stand in reverence to the reading of God's Word. Verse 33, chapter 23, Gospel of Luke. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the male factors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your precious holy word. And we thank you that you speak to our hearts and direct us in the paths that we need to take. And we pray that we'd be able to follow your leadership tonight. And that we might be able to say the right things for the right time and right occasion. We pray that there are those among us that do not have the assurance of salvation. We pray that this afternoon that you would speak to their hearts and show them the way of salvation that's through the cross of Jesus Christ. 
and through the sacrifice that he made there. And we pray that they will humble themselves, call upon your name, and receive you as Lord and Savior before it's eternity too late. We pray for all these folks that are on this list of sick people and these other folks that have all these needs and for Mike and his family and all others who are away on vacation. We pray that you just watch over each one, meet each one's needs and bring them back to this place of service safely real soon. In the name of Jesus, we do pray. All God's people joins us in saying, Amen. Amen. Please be seated. I have um, struggled greatly with my message for this evening, I even asked some advice from a fellow pastors and some deacons about what I should do this evening. Since this is my second time to get to preach here at this church other than a funeral once before. And they basically gave me the advice just to follow the Lord. Well, the last time I was here, I spoke to you up on the subject of Barabbas. Anybody remember that? Yeah. And I didn't get through with that message. So I thought this scene that I would go back and take up where I left off and finish my sermon on Barabbas that I started before that I didn't have time to finish. But then I thought if I do that, I'm going to have to back up and bring everyone up to speed that was not here maybe, did not know what was going on. And I'm going to have to be repetitious and preach about the same things I preached before to get us back up to that place. And I probably won't have time to finish it. So I laid that aside and prayed. And I wanted to preach on the cross so bad. Well, some other things kept coming to my mind. I kept praying about that and kept studying about that. And, and finally, I, I settled on, I, I'm going to preach to you about the cross this evening. I think the cross is important. There are some who diminish the power of the cross, the importance of the cross. And they say, when you come to church, especially on Wednesday night, when we come to church on Wednesday night and we stand up here to preach or to teach, whichever we do or whichever we call what we're doing, we many times think, well, everybody here tonight is probably a Christian. Everybody here tonight is probably a church member. They've probably been baptized. They've done all this. They've taken the Lord's Supper. They've done all this other stuff. They probably in some type of relationship with Jesus Christ. But then I remember some statistics that I read. Now, these were very alarming statistics to me. Uh, and it, these statistics say that 50%, 50% of those who belong to our churches across the United States of America and across the world, 50% have never had a real relationship with Jesus Christ. In other words, they've never been saved. Now, I don't know you. I don't know your heart. There's only one person in this assembly this evening that I know about, and that's me. I'm the only one that I know for sure has been born again. So I want to preach to you about the cross, okay? The cross was a place of excruciating pain. Pain that is beyond our imagination even. There are some things that, that happen on the cross that, that the scriptures, they give allude to, but they're not real clear about. And we don't know exactly what they're talking about sometimes, but they're there for us to look at. 
Let me share some of those things with you. Jesus entered the city of Jerusalem and spent the next four days preaching to the Jews in Anna's courtyard. Anna's courtyard is also called the court of the Gentiles. And it was in this place that the Jewish elite, the Jewish priests, and especially the high priest, had set up a bazaar. And they were selling animals and making change and doing all this other stuff there in the court of the Gentiles. When Jesus came back into the city the following day, he cleansed the temple and cast out all of those that were there buying and selling. He went the next two days preaching and teaching to the Jews. The last day he was preaching to his disciples about his second coming, which is very important. If I had time, I'd cover that, but I don't have time. But on that afternoon of that last day, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And there in Gethsemane, he prayed. And the Bible tells us that on three occasions there he went and prayed, and he prayed an hour at a time. Now Jesus praying for three hours, and him being a man without sin, ought to make us sinful people who can't pray five minutes ashamed of ourselves, oughtn't it? But he prayed for three hours there. And during the course of this prayer, he was saying something like this. Father, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Now, some people believe that Jesus was having a touch of humanism. And that the human part of him, that the dread of the cross, that he was asking God if there was some other way to save people, that let him bypass the cross. But that does not bear with scriptures. Because the scriptures plainly teaches us Jesus himself saying, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed by a friend. I'm going to be delivered into the hands of sinners. I'm going to be crucified, but on the third day, I'm going to rise again. So it was already a foreset thing. It could not be changed. If you want to use the word predestinate, you can use that word if you want to. But it was God's plan for Jesus to go to the cross, and it was nothing else he could do but go there. So what was going on? Well, if you study the Gospels, you find in the Gospels as Jesus is approaching the garden with his disciples that he says to his disciples, my soul is vexed. He said, basically, I'm under a great pressure. I'm being attacked by the evil one. He is trying to kill me before I get to the cross. And that's what was happening. I believe that the devil was trying to kill him just as he had done on numerous occasions before to keep him from getting to the cross so that the plan of redemption could not be fulfilled. If he had not went to the cross, if he had not died on the cross, if he had not resurrected from the dead, the plan of redemption would have been thought, we would have no salvation, and none of us could be saved, okay? He had to go to the cross. So that evening in the garden, y'all don't mind my hand shaking, okay? I hope that doesn't distract you. I've been diagnosed with Parkinson's and Sometimes it takes a will of its own and shakes a little. So y'all don't pay no attention to that. I'll put it behind me, okay? <laughs> there in the garden, he was arrested. He was carried to the house of Annas. Annas was father-in-law to Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Annas had been high priest before, and he still carried that title as being high priest. But Annas is the one who conducted the bizarre control of the temple controlled the sacrificial system, all that he was carried to Annas' house. And Annas 
question him. Annas tried to get Jesus to incriminate himself and say something that could be used against him in a court of law. Of course, we all know that in a court of law that we're not allowed to testify against ourselves. As a matter of fact, if we are arrested, our police officers, which are in the congregation, would say to us, you have a right to remain silent. If you choose a right not to remain silent, anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. Do you understand these rights that have been given to you? That's what our police officers would say to us. But Annas did not do that for Christ. He tried to entrap him. But Jesus wouldn't even as much as talk to that guy. He was such a wicked, depraved individual that Jesus wouldn't even talk to him. So Anna sends him to Caiaphas. Caiaphas is the high priest, and when I first got out of high school, uh, they told me when I got out of high school, if I couldn't afford to go to college, to go to Cumberland, and that's what I did. So I went to Cumberland. And while I was going to Cumberland, I studied some law classes. I thought that I might like to be a lawyer, okay? But then I thought, no, I want to be a Christian. I don't even know, I was just kidding about that. <laughs> I, I, I changed my mind about that and decided not to foresee that and forego that and to pursue that. So I went in another direction. But, but here, I believe that a first-year law student could read the law of the Jewish people and see what all a defendant is entitled to. He's entitled not to incriminate himself, testify against himself, the, the judge cannot ask questions. Uh, all these things are rights that could be uh, invoked by Jesus Christ, but he did not do that. But as the day is drawing to a close and the morning is approaching and Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin have been set upon condemning Jesus, they finally ask him this question. Are you the Christ? Are you God's son? And Jesus says, you said it. Basically interpreting, that's what he said. It's as you say or you said it. So Caiaphas toys priestly garments and says, what need we have any further witnesses? He has condemned his own self. Out of his own mouth, he stands condemned. What do you say? And they all said he ought to die for what he said. So they began to persecute him. Now, one of the things that they did, you had to read the Gospels closely to find out that the Sanhedrin are the ones who did this. They blindfolded him. And they stood him in, in their midst. And they turned him around to get him disorientated. And someone went on the face and slapped him on the face. Slapped him on the face as hard as they could slap him. Then they would take his blindfold off and said, who slapped you? You're a prophet. Tell us who slapped you. But he did not because he could never get it right because they wouldn't let him get it right. So they slapped him. They spit upon him. They, they abused him terribly. They then carried him to Pilate and Pilate. Oh, this is such a, a great story. I wish I had two hours to tell you all this story. Uh, Pilate was determined to release Jesus. Now, that's amazing to me. When I read the scriptures and find out how Pilate tried in some way to manipulate the people and to manipulate the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the high priests, he tried to manipulate them to release Jesus, but he couldn't do that. 
What he was trying to do was he was trying to get someone else to make a decision for him to make his decision about what to do about Christ is what he was trying to do, but he couldn't do it. So Pilate finally relented and says, take him and crucify him. And he turned him over to the Roman soldiers. You don't know what cruelty is until you study some history and study about the Roman soldiers and what they did. You would never understand how cruel they could be. They would go into a town and they would slaughter the people and little babies would be in their mother's arms and they would take and bayonet them and, or put a spear through them and march through the town with those babies sticking on the end of their spears. And we say, oh, how terrible, right? How about abortion? Well, I wasn't supposed to come out. That wasn't part of my message, okay? It's true, right? Amen. They pulled his beard out by the roots. They took a hair of his face and tore it out. They tore flesh and skin away. And the psalmist tells us that his very jawbone was showing. How could they do Jesus that way? But they did. They plaited a crown of thorns and they placed it on his head and they took a reed or a stick and they began to beat him on the top of the head, driving those thorns down into his brow and his temple. And they began to pierce the tender part of his brow and his temple and the blood began to trickle down his forehead and down his face and run down his chin, down onto his chest. How could they do him that way? But they did. They took a cross beam of a cross and they laid it on his shoulder. That shoulder had been riddled and torn to shreds by the cat of nine tails where they took that cat of nine tails and began at the top of his shoulder and went down one side of his back down to the bottom of his buttocks and laid 13 stripes down each side of his back then back up to the top and back down the middle of his back, right on the middle of the backbone, down to the buttocks again, 13 more stripes, 39 times. And every time they struck him, the flesh and the blood would fly everywhere and his back would be lacerated and his organs were showing as he was suffering and bleeding and almost dying there. And as he trudges up that way called straight, up to Golgotha Hill, he got to the top of that hill and he laid the cross down and he laid his body down on it and he stretched his arms out and a Roman soldier got on each side of him and took hold of his wrist on each side and stretched his arms out as far as they could be stretched, pulling his arms out of joint. The psalmist tells us in chapter 22, all my bones are out of joint. They took his bones out of the point and nailed the nails through his hands and to his feet and lifted him up between heaven and earth. And there he hung. You see him. Do you see him hanging there? He's bleeding. He's dying. The cross was such a pain, a place of pain and suffering that we cannot even imagine why. Why would Christ do that? Why would he suffer that? 
for such an undeserving individual as I am. It's important. The cross is important because it was a place of pain. But the cross was also a place of forgiveness. As there he is, I can see him now in my spiritual eye, okay? I can see him in my spiritual eye as he hangs up on that cross. They've done their worst. The Bible says after they did that, they sat down and they watched him there. And there he hangs. I don't know how long he hung there before he spoke. But he's fixing to speak now. He's fixing to speak and I can only imagine what he's going to say. I can only imagine he's going to say, Father, call down hell on these people and destroy all of them right now. Is that what he said? No. He said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. They do not understand what they are doing Forgive them. Who's he talking about? Oh, I know who he was talking about. He's talking about those cowardly Baptist deacons, I mean disciples. They were there in the garden that night. And when he told them, watch and pray, boys. Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. He's talking about them who when he come back an hour later after wrestling with sin, after wrestling with Satan, after coming conquest over those things, he comes back to them and they're asleep. How do you think a pastor feels when he's been on the study for hours and praying and searching God's word and searching God's will for a message and he looks on his congregation and his people are asleep? How do you think he feels? How do you think Jesus felt? Was he talking about them? Was he asking God to forgive those disciples that were there in the garden that night? Yes, he was. Well, maybe he's talking about Judas. Did you know that Judas was the most trusted of the twelve? Did you know that? Somebody grunt. I'm hard of hearing. and can't hear you. Okay? <laughs> Judas was the most trusted of the twelve. You know how I know? You know who takes care of this? I do. I trust myself. When I put my money in church, I want to make sure the person that's taking care of it is trustworthy, okay? Judas was the treasurer of the church. Judas sold his Lord for 30 pieces of silver. They tell me that's something like $18, okay? Talking about him? What Jesus said on one occasion, it would be better off that Judas never had been born. But he was asking for forgiveness for Judas too. You know what else he's asking forgiveness for him? You know that soldier that stuck his thorns in his own fingers as he platted them and set them on the brow of Jesus? 
He's talking about that guy. You know who else he's talking about? The guy took that stick or that, that scepter and struck Jesus on the top of the head and drove those thorns down to his brow. He's talking about that guy. You know who he's talking about? He's talking about that guy that used that Roman lash on his back. That guy that laid those 39 stripes on his back. He's talking about him. You know that's who he's talking about? Those women that he met on the way up Calvary's hill, uh, they were mourning and pretending like they were concerned about Jesus, when in truth they were probably hired mourners. He's talking about them. You know who he's talking about? He's talking about Caiaphas, the high priest, the person who represented God on the earth at that time. He's talking about him. You know who else he's talking about? He's talking about Annas. You know who else he's talking about? He's talking about John the Baptist. You know who else he's talking about? He's talking about John the Beloved. You know who he's talking about? He's talking about Peter. He's talking about Paul. He's talking about Thomas. He's talking about James. He's talking about Bethlehem. He's talking about Terry. Oh, who's that? That's me. That's me. And one night when I was a little boy, 11 year old, I sat in a bench by three seats from the front and an old Baptist preacher with no hair on his head got up in the pulpit and started preaching about hell and I felt the Lord Jesus Christ speak to my heart and tell me I was a lost boy and I needed to be saved and I went down the aisle of that church and knelt in that altar and prayed and asked Jesus Christ to come into my heart and my life and God answered Jesus' prayer on the cross. He saved me. He forgave me. I am forgiven because Jesus died on the cross. Because Jesus went to the cross and took my place and died as a substitute for me is a place of forgiveness, of pardon. There's also a place of promise. Oh, I love this, okay. I love this. The Bible tells us that there were two others that was crucified that day. Two male factors. Two criminals, two lawbreakers, one innocent man, two guilty men. And the people were going by the cross and they was looking up at Jesus and saying, Ah, you that destroys the temple and builds it in three days, come down from the cross. And we will believe if you come down from the cross. Do you think they would have? No, they wouldn't. They'd have nailed him back up if he'd come down. They wouldn't have believed. And the Bible says that the two male factors, the two thieves, they cast the same in his teeth. But as he hangs there in the process of time, suddenly one of them, suddenly one of them recognizes that he is getting what he deserves. He's dying just like he ought to die because he was a criminal, because he was a murderer, a thief, an insurrectionist, all the things that Barabbas was. This guy was that probably also. He's suddenly seeing Jesus as the righteous son of God. And he says to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What did Jesus say? Today. Not a thousand years down the road. Not two weeks down the road. Not a month down the road. But today. Thou shalt be with me in paradise. Where is paradise? Someone says to me. I don't care where it's at. It's where Jesus went. And that's where I want to go. Are you go with me? Amen. 
That's where Jesus went. That's where I want to go. A lot of folks say, oh, I don't believe in no paradise. Well, you don't believe the Bible, you don't believe in paradise because the paradise of God is where the righteous dead go now this time in the presence of God to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. And the Lord Jesus Christ in the paradise of God sitting at the right hand of the Father. Paradise has been taken to heaven at the resurrection and that's where we go when we die now as Christians, okay? It's a place of promise. But here's our promise. If thou shalt believe in thy heart, Listen, children, if thou shalt believe in thy heart and confess in thy mouth the Lord Jesus, thou shalt be saved. Thou shalt be. That is a positive statement. It cannot be retracted. You will be saved when you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can happen to you tonight. Jesus Christ can save you tonight. What's going to happen Oh, these clocks sure run fast when you're having a good time, don't they? Amen. What did Jesus suffer at the cross? I think Jesus suffered everything that a lost person would have to suffer if they reject Jesus' sacrifice, his atoning death on the cross of Calvary. If they reject that, they're going to go to hell. They're going to go to Sheol. They're going to go to the place of lost spirits. They go to the place called Gehenna or Hades or whatever you want to call it. It's a place where they're separated from God. And Jesus suffered everything on the cross that a lost person would have to suffer in hell. So what Jesus actually did was that he suffered hell on the cross for you. For you. For you. Over here. And that side over yonder has always forgotten where Brother Glenn's at. Over there on your side too, Brother Glenn. Over there on that side. Everybody over there that's not a saved individual is going to hell, be separated from God throughout the ceases age of eternity. So let, let me point out just a couple of things right quickly that you're going to have to suffer. The first thing is separation. What does it mean to go to hell. What does that mean? That means to go out of the presence of God. That means to be separated from God throughout the ceaseless age of eternity. That's what hell is. Hell is not only a place of suffering and torments, weeping and gnashing of teeth, as the Bible tells us, but it's a place of separation. We think of death, we think of death as separation. I die, I'm separated from my wife, separated from my daughter, my son-in-law, my grandchildren, my granddog and grandcat and all the other stuff that the kids got nowadays. Be separated from all that stuff. But Jesus Christ suffered separation from God so that we don't have to suffer it. That's what the agony on the cross was. That's why he cried out. That's why he cried out in a loud voice. Some folks say, Jesus was a helpless martyr on the cross. No, 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 no. Jesus was in charge the whole time. Somebody, he was so weak that they had to get Simon of Cyrene to bear his cross. No, 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 no. That's not the reason that Simon bore the cross. 
Simon bore the cross because Simon was going to be a follower of Jesus Christ up to the Calvary Hill. And the Bible says for us to take up our cross and to follow him. And that's what Simon did. He followed Jesus to the cross. But he cried on the cross. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did God forsake his son? Why did God suddenly turn his back on his son? Because his son became, who's got it? Raise your hand if you got it. What did he become? What did he become? He became sin. Jesus Christ became sin. And God will not look on sin. Whether it's in the heart and the life of the preacher or the deacons or the Sunday school teacher or the band or the substitute preacher or anybody else, God is not going to look upon sin. He's going to turn his back upon it. And if you die in this life without Jesus Christ, God's going to turn his back on you. And don't think you're going to have another opportunity. Don't think you're going to stand in judgment someday and if you've done enough good stuff, you're going to get into heaven because that's a lie that the devil told. The only people going to heaven is those who have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. If you had not been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, God's going to turn his back on you. And you'll go out from his presence forever and forever and ever. The cross. Jesus suffered the agony of shame on the cross. Now, for modesty's sake, when our artists paint a picture of the crucifixion of Christ and paint a picture of, of the crucifix, they always adorn Jesus in, in a loincloth, a little towel stretched around his private area. And some folks say, that's the way Jesus was crucified. Now, what the Bible says, the Bible says he was put to an Open shame. An open shame. Nudity is a sin. Anybody, anybody with me? Nudity is a sin. And what we need to teach people is to cover themselves up. To cover up their nudity. And so many folks today have forgot all about that. And sometimes folks even come to church and forget about it. Uh oh, I'm sorry. Sometimes we just forget about it. But if we die without Christ, you know how we're going to stand before God? Naked. I'm nothing, okay? I'm just a little ignorant, uneducated Baptist preacher. But let me tell you something. I'm clothed in the righteousness of God because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And you can be clothed in that same righteousness if you would turn to him and receive him as Lord and Savior before it's eternity too late. Jesus suffered it. He suffered it. Let me give you this couple more, okay? Jesus was lonely on the cross. I read something just today. I don't know where I was at and I read this. 
But it was uh, talking about Elvis Presley. And he said in Elvis' song, Are you lonesome tonight? Do you miss me tonight? You know that? He said, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Are you lonely tonight? Jesus was lonely on the cross. His disciples that walked with him for three years, they're all gone. The angels that came to the garden and ministered to him, they're gone. The father whom he had never been out of fellowship with, out of contact with during his three years of ministry and during his 33 years on the earth, gone. He was alone. If you die without Christ, listen to me, children. If you die without Christ, you're going to be alone forever and ever and ever and ever. No one to talk to. I believe in personal evangelism, don't you? Amen. Amen. Believe in personal evangelism. I try to talk to someone about the Lord and they say to me, if I go to hell, preacher, I'm going to have plenty of company. You talk like a man who ain't got no sense. You talk like somebody who ain't got no sense at all. Don't you know that if you go to hell, you're going to be by yourself? There won't be nobody around you? When the rich man of the 16th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, when he died in the Bible said, and in hell he lifted up his eyes, did he see anybody else in hell? No, he seen nobody else. He was all by himself. He could see what he missed, that honor. He could see Abraham and Lazarus in his bosom. But he was alone. He was alone. Jesus was alone on the cross for you. Trying to think which one I want to use next, okay? Jesus died a real death on the cross. I hear some of our modernists say that Jesus didn't actually die on the cross. That he, I believe the word they used was swooned. Now I understand what swoon is. Because when I get close to some pretty young ladies, I usually swoon because I look like Billy Graham, they said. <laughs> In your mind. <laughs> Where was he? You made me get well. Was Jesus actually died on the cross, okay? He was actually dead. Amen. If you go to hell... You're going to suffer the same death that Jesus Christ died on the cross. It's called the second death. It's not this physical death, but it's spiritual death. Whereby people die eternally, forever and ever, in a lake of fire that burns with fire and brimstone. This is the second death. And the Bible says, Whosoever was not found written in the Lamb's book of life was cast alive into the lake of fire. This is the second death. That's what he's talking about. Are you going to die there? When Jesus has done everything that there is to do 
in order to save you, are you still going to go away lost? My beautiful wife, that lady over yonder, that's the most beautiful woman in this congregation tonight. No offense to any of you other ladies, you can't help it. <laughs> She's the most beautiful lady in the world, okay? She and I were in a restaurant. And we ordered our meal and we ate it and I was waiting for him to bring me my bill where I could pay it and where I could leave. And the waitress came by and I said, ma'am, you didn't bring me a, a bill. And she said, that's okay. It's been taken care of. I said, what? She said, it's been taken care of. I said, what do you mean it's been taken care of? She said, somebody else paid your bill for you. I said, who was it? She said, I don't know. It was them people sitting over at that table a while ago. I said, well, I didn't see anyone here I knew. She said, well, they must have known you. They paid your bill. Yeah. You know what? That's what Jesus did for me. Yeah. I had a debt I couldn't pay. Yeah. I, I didn't have the money to pay it. I've never been a rich man. Won't never be a rich man. Baptist preachers don't get rich, okay? I won't never have enough money to buy a lot of stuff that I like to buy. But I've always had everything I need. God's always supplied my needs, okay? But I had a debt I couldn't pay. And it's called a sin debt. I had sin. Oh, I wasn't but 11 year old, Brother Glenn. I hadn't done a lot of bad stuff. I never had an illegal relationship with another woman. I never stole anything. I never killed anyone. Or I may have lied. I don't know about that. I probably had. Most boys do sometime in their life by stealing an apple or a watermelon or something. I'd probably done all that. But I had sin in my life. It was because I was a human being, because I had an earthly mama and daddy, a fleshly mama and daddy. I had sin in my life and it had to be taken care of. All sin has got to be paid for. There's only one way to pay for it. Blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. No payment of sin. So I can take and prick my finger and the blood will drop out. And drop to the floor. Would it pay for sin? Would it pay for my wife's sin? Would it pay for Tammy's sins? Would it pay for my grandchildren? My grandchildren, they're the greatest kids in the world. I, I won't tell you what else I started to say. I started to tell you they're so nice that poopy don't stink. But they're the greatest kids in the world, okay? But they got sin in their life. And that, that drop of blood on the end of my finger will not cover any sin whatsoever. But the sinless, listen to me, I'm almost through. I will let you go in just a minute or two, okay? The sinless blood of Jesus Christ, the blood of the cross, the blood of Gethsemane, the blood that Jesus shed on the cross of Calvary for our sins, those sins can wash your sins away. That blood can do the trick. All you got to do is trust it. Accept it. Amen. Receive it. Now, what have I said to that waitress? 
I don't care what somebody else did. I'm going to pay for my own meal. What would she have thought of me? She'd have probably thought, this is some kind of nut here. <laughs> and I tell you something, I promise you something. If you see me in the rest of Sunday and you come by and pay for my bill, I'm not going to refuse it, okay? <laughs> Glenn, you're going to refuse it. Somebody come by and pay for your bill on Sunday? No. Glenn, take it either. If Mike's back in down, he'll take it. Brother Smith, where'd he go? There is back there. I, he, he owes me to pay him for me letting me preach tonight. I'm sure he'd let you buy his meal also, okay? But the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sins. Here's what you got to do. You got to realize you're a sinner. Do you realize that? I'm going to be through in just a minute, okay? Listen to what the Bible says. The Bible tells me in, in, in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In other words, we have all fallen short of what God expects of us. God expects total, complete sinlessness from us. But because we cannot achieve that, then God had to do something else. We messed up God's plan for us and we got to do something else. So the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 6, 23, it says, for the wage of sin is, yeah, you're with me, aren't you? The wage of sin is death. What does that mean? The wage of sin is death. Does that mean laying down and quit breathing, heart stop? Is that death? That's not death. That's sleep. That's sleep. I'm going to sleep. Jesus said our friend Lazarus is asleep. I'm going to wake him. That's just to go to sleep. But the wage of sin is death means eternal separation from God. In other words, if you die lost, you go to hell and separate from God throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity. Romans 10 and 9 said. Now let me, let me go back to 623. I said the wage of sin is death, but there's, there's a little word in there. So it's a little, any school teachers here? I don't see no school teachers. You don't believe this, it's terrible. I am in grammar and everything else. I had six school teachers in the church that I passed. And they sat there and done this. But there's this little word in 623, it says, but. But. But why? There's an alternative. What's my other choice? Life. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So here it is. Death and life. Moses said to the Israelites in the wilderness, he said, I said before you this day, life and death, good and evil. Choose life. Choose Christ. Choose Christ. You say, how do I do that? Well, the Bible tells us in 9 and 10, it says, if thou shalt believe in thy heart and confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus... Thou shalt be saved. 
I used to visit a man in Smithfield when I pastored a church there. And I'd go in and I'd say, can I share the gospel with you? He never had let another preacher do that. He was 80 year old. He never had no one to ever sat down and explain the gospel to him to share the gospel. And no one had ever done it. He had never let anyone do it. I say, can I share the gospel with you? Can I tell you how to be saved? I'm not going to try to push you into a decision. I just want you to know how to be saved. OK, he finally said, well, go ahead. And so I said that to him. He said to me, how can you believe in your heart? He said, your heart is just a muscle. It's in your chest. They can take your heart out and lay it on a table and they can sew it up and put bypasses on it and stick it back in your chest and jumpstart it and you get up and walk out and go home. It's just a muscle. I said, no, it's not. I said, your heart is the seat of all emotions. Your heart is the seat of everything. I say to my wife, Linda, love you, baby, with all my heart. What she think I love her with? A muscle? <laughs> we working out at Jimmy Floyd every morning now, and she just, woo! That's not what he loves her with. To love the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart and to believe in your heart means with everything you are. Amen. Everything I hope to ever be. Everything I ever plan to be is through Jesus Christ. Amen.